Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the idea of lethal superheroes. Should superheroes kill? What happens when they decide not to kill? And is there a difference between killing in battle versus killing as punishment? We'll be discussing this through the lens of Jupiter's legacy and Isaac Asimov's laws of robotics. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Matthew, your host. Uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, uh, quite possibly next week or the week after, we're going to do a feedback episode. We've been getting a lot of great feedback, questions, and comments about recent episodes we've had. Uh, some people giving us great insight, uh, calling me out on something I totally missed that I'm looking forward to, to talking about, some other great insight about stuff we've talked about. Uh, and so we're going to do a whole episode on feedback, which means if you've got a question you've been wanting to ask, a comment you've been thinking you want to make, this is a great time to do it. Email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at that same name. Contact us in any of those ways. Uh, if you can find me with Carrier Pigeon, it'll be a little creepy, but you still go ahead and do it. But any of those things you can do, send us in your feedback, send us in your thoughts. We'll look forward to reading it on that whole episode. And today, this is an episode I'm really excited about because this is both a topic that we've gotten into a number of times in one way or another, but never really gotten to just sink our teeth into this whole uh, topic as nothing but for an episode. And we're doing it with two of my favorite guests. People have been on quite a lot. And uh, unfortunately, except for the 100th episode, I haven't had you both on. But I'm here with Paul and with Jessica. And start with you, Paul. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. It's really more like late afternoon where I am. But, you know, West Coast. That's fair. Yay. <laughs> and Jessica, over in the East Coast, how, how are things for you? I'm good. I'm enjoying being so close to the Atlantic Ocean instead of the Pacific. <laughs> uh, now I miss the East Coast. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica's in our old home of New York City. But yeah, no, um, I'm glad to have you both here. And let me kind of frame a little bit more of the topic we're talking about. Because, you know, we I've talked with both of you about this question of should superheroes kill? And what does it mean when superheroes decide they are not going to kill? And what does it mean when... You know, with comic book physics, the, the writers decide that Daredevil is definitely not killing by hitting people in the head with metal pipes or things like that. Uh, not that I've used that example one or two times in the past. Yeah, let's let's work on some others. Sorry. Yeah, some good ones. Uh, Batman, for example, another one. He never yep. kills anyone, I'm sure. But, but even going beyond the comic book physics stuff, there's a lot of questions that really come up around these ideas of should heroes kill? Is it something that they should always avoid? Is it something that... If it happens without being planned, that that's a thing, or versus it being planned. And, and we're going to talk a lot about it, especially in terms of the TV show that just came out, Jupiter's Legacy, uh, as well as with some, uh, when I was talking to Jessica about this, I know you had a lot of great insight from Flash Comics that we wanted to bring in as well. And we're going to talk about a couple of other sources. And I'll get into all the specifics of that in a moment, but let me just start with the, the kind of general idea. For each of you, what comes up when you think about this idea of should superheroes kill? Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like a game of like reverse chicken. Politely uh, waiting. <laughs> I've never heard two New Yorkers be that polite before. That was amazing. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think of of Batman. I think of Daredevil, especially season one and two and three. I guess that's all the seasons. Uh, <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Sadly. Hashtag yes. save Daredevil. Yes. Um, I'm actually fine with an ending after season three. I think it's the most fantastic series, season of television I've ever seen of anything. So, but, um, you know, if they make more great seasons, cool. But yeah, it's, it's this like in Daredevil, you know, 
Matt Murdock is wrestling with this, whether as Daredevil, he wants to use that as a solution to some of the problems he's facing. Um, Batman generally will have more of this kind of code sort of thing, which I'd say Jupiter's Legacy felt very much like a um, sort of call out or nod to that. Mm. And... I mean, a lot of other, you know, members of the Justice League or which also like JL, JL, you know, but, um, you know, and then you have characters like Punisher who are just like going around killing everybody. And then you have characters like El Mariachi who's like, wait, let's just talk. Let's, uh, okay, I guess I'll kill all of you. But now you, (laughs) okay, you're not, let's just, oh, okay, I'll kill you too. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I find it to be an interesting question in terms of like, I don't know. I really enjoy Batman, and particularly Batmans that don't go around killing people. And then I also really enjoy Dexter, which right. is a little different. And the, the friendly, charismatic serial killer. Right. Exactly. And you know, to me, it's it's kind of like it's about personal choice as much as anything. But mm-hmm. um, and also just the idea of like putting restraints on oneself, particularly um, when one has like an enormous amount of power and is often going to be operating at a power imbalance. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I think the first thing that comes to mind is a uh, man of steel, which I would argue mm. does not handle the question particularly well. Um, and I think a big part of it is you have to consider the character yeah. And you have to consider the genre and intended audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas, you know, I think that the question of whether or not lethal violence is ever uh, morally acceptable or even the the only correct choice being the uh, a central question of something like Daredevil is fascinating. Whereas I sure wouldn't want to see again superman spending three seasons debating about whether or not he should murder somebody like it there's a lot of sort of metatextual factors that go into it and also the Mm -hmm. idea of like does a superhero does it make your superhero story more mature more complex edgier cooler if uh the superhero kills or not to tip my hand does <laughs> thinking that a superhero killing is automatically cool mean you're actually pretty immature <laughs> i don't know it could be either of those things <laughs> but I, it I could really only be are... the one <laughs> i i feel like that when we get into our comic book history about the 80s and 90s that you might have some more thoughts on that particular uh perspective of comic book history i sure do have some thoughts and feelings yes <laughs> i'm very interested to hear those i, I like yeah. where this is going <laughs> well and so i think there's a you kind of really kind of put your hands on a number of the different parts of the questions that we're looking at here because for me i kind of feel like there's three different sort of aspects of killing that we're talking about here um one of which is the idea of the hero who is attempting to use non-lethal force, but will wind up using lethal force because you just you can't quite dial that gun as perfectly as we would sometimes have. We joke about that a lot, and we've talked about it some. I think today we're kind of 
we're not talking about that as much because we're talking more about the um when a hero is saying like i am okay with killing but but even there i feel like we still have two very different kinds of situations one of which is the i have decided that this person has to die because no prison can help them no insane asylum can help them no no there's nothing else to do i have to kill this person versus I'm in the heat of battle, and the only way to end the threat that they pose to me and to everybody else around us is to kill them. Um, and, and so I think that's a question we're going to really dive into, and we'll start talking about Jupiter's legacy in a second. The only other thing that I want to say, though, and I can hear, hear your thoughts on both of these before we get into Jupiter's legacy specifically, is I feel like that this has always been true, but especially in the last couple of years, for me at least, it is impossible to think about heroes using lethal force to stop bad people without thinking about law enforcement and the military using lethal force to stop what they perceive to be bad people. And I think, especially with Jupiter's legacy, but with a lot of this stuff, you know, there's always been problems in our own world about cops using lethal violence in situations where clearly they shouldn't. But especially with all the attention paid to it the last couple of years, I'm at least finding it harder and harder to get excited about watching heroes kill criminals or kill the people they think of as bad guys in that kind of a way. Mm. Not that it has to be, you know, complete the other end. And sometimes stories can set up situations where it does seem to be like necessary in the heat of the moment or whatever. But for me, I feel like this entire question has to be viewed through that kind of a lens. Does that make sense to you both? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely take your point. I agree with you that it's, it's something that, you know, as obviously, this is not a new phenomenon that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. People, especially black people and other people of color being killed by cops um, is not new. It's just something that, uh, you know, I think a lot of white people learned about for the first time in recent years or realized how prevalent it was in recent years. And it's something that I think we should be more thoughtful about when we depict you know, honorable law enforcement killing. Um, but I do hesitate to equate the two because so many of these incidences are like that guy was walking down the street or a child playing in a park or a woman sleeping in her own bed as opposed to, you know, in superhero stories, I can... I can think of a couple of examples of superheroes accidentally killing innocent bystanders. Actually, they're both Green Arrow. <laughs> He's not doing so hot. Um, but yeah. Wanda Maximoff in Civil War is the one that comes to mind. But you're right, they're much rarer. Yeah, like I... I there, is, there is always an argument to be made when this story happens in a superhero comic that killing the bad guy was justified because they're like the Joker or they're going to destroy the multiverse or whatever, which right. is not the case when it's, you know, a black man standing in a Walmart looking at right. a fruit and all of a sudden everybody freaks out for no reason. You know what I mean? Right. No, I think that's a very good point. And to be clear, I, I don't, I was trying to equate them. It was more just that it's, it's hard for me to think about this question without having that lens on sure, it. Sure. Yeah, no, I think yeah. you're right. That they're, they're, that's definitely a very big difference. Yeah, I, I kind of feel both of those points of view where, you know, there are there are obviously incidences, way too many incidences where it's not, you know, 
uh, someone in law enforcement trying to apprehend someone who is clearly violating a law, and then we're talking about how force was used in that situation. I, I mean, I have a lot to say about those situations as well, but I think right. um, those are maybe more parallel to a lot of the um, kind of superhero things where also with superheroes, sometimes you get, you know, the superhero versus like a mugging or something. And sometimes you right. get the superhero trying to stop Thanos from destroying the earth or the superhero trying to stop dark side from destroying the earth or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think those are, those are very different. Um, I feel like more we get these little like montages of the like, oh, here's the hero like trying to stop some crime. And then now there's going to be some like really big thing that isn't quite as related. So like, I, I definitely do see the parallel and feel like it's hard not to have that in mind sometimes, but at, at the same time, um, I, I do think there's a little bit more separation and daylight between the two um, yeah. than is sometimes painted as. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a very fair point. And I think, for me at least, Jupiter's Legacy comes a lot closer to that line, especially with some of the, the way they discuss it. Mm-hmm. And so let's actually use that as a good time yeah. to get into Jupiter's Legacy. Um, because this uh, the way we're phrasing this, the way we're framing this is, uh, Paul and I have seen Jupiter's Legacy, uh, Jessica has not, and we think some of you in the audience have, some of you may well have not, and that's totally okay, because we want this to be kind of like we're going to use that as a jumping off point, but really try to stick to the issues themselves, not just get lost in the show. But in terms of what matters from the show for this question, in the show, as, as Paul alluded to, we have a uh, basically a Justice League. I think they're the heroes of the globe, the, is the word. Uh, the union. They're the union. The, the Union, yeah. thank you. Heroes of the Globe was something that may have been from Invincible. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of superhero stuff I've watched recently that has ju- uh, Justice League aspects to it. And it's led by someone named Utopia. And Utopia has, like, just, he very much is kind of a Superman figure. And he and the others have established what is called the Code. And the Code is the set of laws that the heroes have to follow under any circumstances, no questions, no, you know, exceptions. They always have to follow it. And one of them is that they do not kill. And it's it, it's never directly explained, but I think what the implication is given, and kind of, Paul, you were alluding to this, the part of why this is set up is that when they got started, they were so, so much more powerful than anybody else they were dealing yeah. with. That it was kind of that idea of like, you know, you know, like a grown adult trying to deal with a six-year-old who's causing problems. Like the six-year-old might be about to punch another six-year-old and you don't, if you want to stop that, but you're not going to use your full ability as an adult because they're six years old. And I, I think that's kind of the, the idea that's behind a lot of this idea of the code. Because they often talk about, you know, if we didn't have the code, humanity would never trust us. They would never be okay with us. But that by the time we get to the modern day story... The villains are getting more and more powerful, and that's not always becoming the case. And in the uh, big spoilers for a major plot point in episode one, uh, towards the episode one, uh, Utopia and his son Paragon and their uh, their whole team are having a uh, big fight with, uh, is it Grayskull? That's not, that's T-Man. <laughs> it is not Grayskull. It is Blackstar. <laughs> I mean, Black it's Star. a generic sounding name. Like, also I it's really the want, Utopian. Uh, I'm going to pretend it's Grayskull. Yes, yes. There you go. There you go. I was going to edit that out, but now we're going to keep it in now. Um, 
I'm dark dark star. Black star. No. Black star, thank you. Um yes, and the Utopian, thank you. I'm terrible with names. Last episode I gave a whole thing about how, you know, Stan Sebastian is a really good example of sexiness <laughs> in male characters. So male actors. So me with names, I'm terrible. Anyway. So and in the course of the fight, uh Black Star is just completely kicking butt. He has already killed two of the heroes, like they're fully dead. Uh, and he is about to go nuclear. And it, it's mentioned that if he does this, he will take out half the state, let alone probably kill all these people. But he will, you know, kill like half of Kansas, the state they're in. Again, no Superman illusions happening here whatsoever. Um, and so in the heat of the fight, figuring that it's the only way he can stop this from happening, Paragon uh, delivers uh, a mighty blow that kills Blackstar. To which Utopia immediately starts scolding him, saying you broke the code. And and so this is where we kind of get this this setup of, you know, the code has to be the code Uber Alice. That even in that situation where terrible things were going to happen, um, you know, the, the, the code has to be the thing that trumps. And then that becomes kind of a, one of the central ideas of the, of the rest of the episode, the rest of the season going forward is, should that code still be there? And are there problems with it? And you have a lot of younger heroes start talking about how they, they don't like it. They think the code shouldn't be and, and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, so, so that's kind of what I want. That for me was what really got me thinking about this question because it seemed like, and I'll be honest, I'm not wild about Jupiter's legacy. I think they had some I, I described it as, as a show that I think raises a lot of great questions, but I kind of hate the answers that it gives and and also just has some bad plotting and dialogue and stuff like that. But but even putting that aside, the, the questions there, I think, are really fascinating. So let me just start with you, Jessica. Uh, as someone who hasn't seen it, kind of, A, or, it, did, did that description make sense? Are there kind of big questions you have or kind of what would be your thoughts on, on the way that question is being set up as I described it? Yeah, no, I'm definitely following. Um, and it's it's something that... I mean, I think you see this a lot in um, sort of creator-owned properties that are, as you said, very much inspired by DC and Marvel superheroes and these established franchises that we're very familiar with. Um, and uh, creators will take these sort of XB versions of the characters in the universe to explore these ideas. So mm -hmm. it's, it's something that... Um, DC and Marvel have explored in other stories. I mentioned to you um, earlier that uh, this this sort of generational divide between an old-fashioned way of uh, superheroing and a more aggressive and violent way for the younger generation is one of the central themes of Kingdom Come, which right. is a DC comic um, by Mark Wade and Alex Ross from the 90s. Um, and yeah, it's... it's it's a topic that the genre touches on a lot, but it sounds like from everything you've said, this is perhaps more interested in the, and then it got really violent and it was rad <laughs> side of the debate. I, I think there's some of that. I think the show does try hard to, I think it's clearly showing that Utopian and, and the others kind of have to grow out of their old ways. But I felt at least, and, and Paul, I'm curious, give me your thoughts on this, that the show was trying hard to say like that maybe Utopian has a point, that it's not just that he's totally wrong mm -hmm. and the young people are right. Yes. Also, quick plug, uh, we actually did an episode on Kingdom Come 
a long time ago with uh, Jacob Malicic. Uh, definitely check that out as well. Links on, in the Ball. show notes, right? You'll, we'll yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll do that. Like, I have anything to do with creating the show <laughs> notes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say I think it's a show and, you know, based on you know the previous material i agree it's a show um that is <laughs> um it raises some questions that are interesting it does it in a very ham-fisted way and it's like so on the nose that i find that off-putting uh, mm-hmm. It does it. A lot of the things that happen are like, oh, well, this has to happen so that we raise this question or you think this or whatever. Um, I thought parts of it were actually really well done. A lot of the stuff, the backstory, the 1929 stuff, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I thought that part looked great. I thought the present day stuff was maybe a little like less interesting for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would push back on that. It, it giving answers that um aren't very good in which i feel like you just did also in terms of saying like it i don't think it's like this is the correct answer you know um and there is you know there's one great line where um you know the, the utopian is basically in a therapy session and complaining about oh you know uh, you know, people are saying things like the world isn't black and white like it used to be, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, the other person's like, the world has always been chaos and shit, my friend. <laughs> like, yeah. and that that's, you know, I always think of this idea of like the world's not, it's not as simple as it used to be. Like, that's always struck me as bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think the world has ever been simple. Like, I think a lot of people have maybe had a simple outlook on the world and, you know, there are things like like cops murdering people that not everybody was like super aware of. And becoming aware of those things makes the world feel more complicated. But like that shit was happening. <laughs> that shit's been yeah. happening for like since there have been cops, you know. And so like the idea of maybe now there's super villains in their world, there might be a little more substance to like, okay, well, there were only six people with superpowers and then one of them like went rogue and then they're super villains all of a sudden. And like, okay, that is an added layer of complexity, right? And <laughs> right. because the idea, um, and I think the code was like two things. I would think it was like, we don't kill and we don't govern, which right. is, that's its own kind of thing too, right? Like we kind of, we don't interfere and we, we don't, you know, deal in life and death and we don't deal in like what the law should be. We just, we basically try to, I mean, maybe they try to stop crime. To me, what would be a a reasonable approach would be like, we try to save lives, right? We try to keep people from killing each other. Like that, that, I, that's, I mean, that's what I think. I think instead of cops, that's what we should have. We should have like safety people who basically just try to help people from not dying. Um, But that's a whole nother (laughs) episode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, to me, it felt like it raises these questions in a very obvious, in-your-face, every single episode way. Um, It's a little obnoxiously over-the-top in that regard. And Mm -hmm. I feel you when you're saying, like, you know, there is this idea of this generational divide, and the younger heroes think, oh, maybe the the code's kind of um, bullshit. But at the same time, um, you know, the older crowd... Really, though, it's just, like, as far as I can tell, the, the code comes from one person. You know, Sheldon, right. the utopian, who is, I, 
who has it's like the idea is like people will have free will if we don't get involved in governing if you know we don't want to kill anybody but at the same time it's like mm, are you really giving your team free will you know and i think that's sort of like a second question it's like for a single hero to make the decision i am never going to kill someone like i think that's totally legit and right. or like i am never going to deliberately use violence that is intended to be lethal right i mean we'll get into the whether or not there's um lethal you know non-lethal violence or not but um you know the the lack of you know i'm never going to try to kill someone i think like i can respect that but i think that has to be on some level that has to be more of a personal choice whereas someone else it's like look if someone's either going to kill you or I can kill them, and the writer has decided that those are my only two choices, and for some odd reason, <laughs> I can't laser off their arm. Um, like, seriously, like, just laser off their arm. Like, you don't have to laser their brain. Laser their arm. You have super speed. But, like, if the writer's decided that those are the two options, like, I think that's a legit choice for me to make, whether or not I want to kill someone to stop them from killing someone else. And um, to have some sort of code where it's like, no, none of us can do that. Is, you know, and then spout off about free will, it seems a little hypocritical to me. And rant. Yeah. <laughs> I think part, like, what that brings up for me is, and this is something that I think we touched on during the uh, 100th episode, um, the idea of superheroes having oversight. Like, mm -hmm. if you are a superhero, 99% of the time, the superhero is just deciding what their code is going to be, whether they are going to follow the laws of their particular locality or they're not, or they're going to follow right. the ones they feel like following, which is what most of them do, because, you know, be being a vigilante is usually pretty illegal. Um, <laughs> it's just like Batman, you are not a law abiding person. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, and this is something that I, Speaking of stories that brought up interesting ideas or interesting questions and answered them, maybe not in such a great way. This is something that Civil War touched on. Like when you have mm. superheroes who are largely American and they're incredibly powerful, but they're not just operating in America, whose laws apply and who can enforce them? And so the question of whether, you know, the the utopian or any head of a leader of a superhero team can say, this is my moral code and I'm making the rest of the team follow it. I think has to take into account who are they beholden to besides themselves as individuals and the team. And like, if they do violate the code, then what happens do they just right. punch each other until a lot of buildings fall down? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. I love especially that you frame it in terms of the vigilante question because kind of the way at least I, I understood it in the show, and, and Paul, tell me if you disagree, is that the code is, you know, it, it's kind of them being preemptive to create a version of the Sokovia Accords mm. in that the code is what allows them to not be vigilantes. It's that they... They sort of have a partnership with the world, however the world expresses that, which probably they don't because there's no world government. And this does seem all very American, yeah. like all these stories do. Right. But there's kind of an idea of like, hey, world, if you'll let us function and not treat us like criminals, we will follow this code. 
Um, and, and I think you're right that, that it, it, it raises a lot of questions of, you know, because certainly some of the other heroes seem to have opinions on it, but we never got to see. And maybe this is what would be in, in season two, which we just uh, announced today is not going to happen, which I'm not terribly upset about because I didn't really love the show. Although there's some parts that were so good. It's probably it's frustrating. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I, I think that's one thing that it was left somewhat unclear and I wish had been more explained of to what extent this was. The heroes had all agreed to a code, but then most of them were drifting away, but Utopian still agreed with it. Or he had just said, you know, my way or the highway, and they all kind of agreed and went along with it, but he was pressuring them. Because um, you're right, I think that is a very important question. So, two things. One, I, I think the code for Sheldon came from um, a cup. Like, I think he thinks it comes from, like, where they got their powers. Like, I think it's kind of mystical for him. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, they were going to the place where they get their powers. There's some, I guess, spoilers for later in the season. Um, uh-huh. And... At, we can spoil the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, everything looks horrible. Like, they're going to die in a storm, and there's, like, arguing and fighting, and someone's about to shoot someone. And then, then I think Jane, right, says, she's like, oh, Grace. Her name's Grace. I'm sorry. Jane's right. someone else. What? Anyway, um, she's like, she says, taking a life is never the answer. And then the clouds literally part. <laughs> And, like, sunshine, <laughs> like, they're hit by, like, a beam of sunshine, and then this island appears where they go and get their powers. So After being tested again for their goodness. Exactly. So I feel like all of that, it, I feel like that's where Sheldon, like, got the code from, and it's like, no, we have, to, we have to stick to this, everybody. And from the beginning, he is the one who had the sort of, you know, who was convinced, like, oh, we're gonna go to this place and something good's gonna happen, and I don't know what it is, but, you know, there's this very... Uh, it feels very faith-based, yeah. right? In terms of, like, there was no, oh, you know, uh, there was no, like, trail of, like, breadcrumbs that were, like, rationally followed. It was it was just like, no, we have to go to here. And then they all did. And then, you know, he led them to where they got their powers. And, and so I think that's, like, that's sort of, especially also because of what his mental state was like then, I think that's why he hangs onto the code in this very... Um, emotional way as opposed to like thinking oh well this will keep people from um, you know treating us or, or, or like coming up with their own rules for like what we have to do and maybe he kind of sold it to the others or maybe that's how some of the others kind of rationalized it to themselves but I think the right. the origin is definitely more this kind of like ah sort of moment <laughs> you know and in terms of like what happens if someone breaks the code uh in episode one someone breaks the code and then they get grounded uh, yeah like literally it's like stay on the farm and uh put up a fence and yeah that, so that's literally the answer to that question in the show but there and even there it's not even clear is he doing that as like because he's punishing another hero or is he doing that because it's his son mm. you know mm-hmm. and he's grounding him yeah for sure and, and i really like the way you bring that up because I think you're totally right there, especially in terms of the code. And Jessica, I'm curious if this is something we see in comic books a lot. One of the one of the kind of feels that I get from this whole thing is that Sheldon, everything in Sheldon's life up to this point has been chaos. You know, all the things that he thought he could hold on to, the goodness of his father, the solidity of his business, you know, because all this is happening against the backdrop of the Great Depression mm. and Everything Sheldon has believed in has gotten wiped away. His own mental health has gotten, you know, completely out the window. He's lost his engagement. 
and now he has all these powers and he has no idea what to do. And I often think that when people talk about having a code, it feels like they're trying to give some order to the chaos of their life. It's like, instead of allowing myself to think like this is all chaotic and nuts and I'm going to have to figure it out, it's, nope, here's this rigid set of rules. As long as I follow it, everything will be okay. Uh, which is interesting that you bring it up as a religious thing because often I think that's what like fundamentalist religion can be. Of mm. Here's the set of rules I have. Here's my code. I don't have to ask any questions. I don't have to engage with the complexity. I just have to follow the rules. Um, Jessica, is that something that you kind of see, especially in some of the comic books that you've read, where uh, the heroes seem to adopt these rules of I shall not kill or, or whatever the rules are, in part to kind of bring some order to, to that chaos? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it depends on the character and it depends on the era. Like, if you look at, say, Silver Age, um, Batman and Superman comics, you will frequently mm-hmm. see them literally referring to their code like i have a code against killing i don't kill there's a cover of world's finest from that era i'm never going to remember the issue number but it's like superman and batman are about to kill somebody and robin is like no you'll break your code like it's Mm. they had these rigid rules um that they would put things things like that on the cover so that kids would be like, oh my God, Superman and Batman are going to kill somebody. Got to read this comic. Here's my nickel. (laughs) Um, And uh, like Superman also like, he couldn't lie in the Silver Age. So if somebody was like, are you Superman, Clark Kent? He'd be like, what a crazy question. I have to leave the room because he couldn't (laughs) say no. Um, He can avoid the question. He just can't directly lie. right. Right. Which is, I mean, that's very much from the, because they were, still very much under the comics code authority which was it a literal code in yeah. the real world of what they could publish and the audience was little kids um in terms of more modern comics i think you are much more likely to see very rigid rules or the two characters who immediately like sprang to mind talking about this are actually pretty opposite in this philosophy um batman and the punisher because yeah. they both have really rigid rules about what can and cannot be done. They just happen to be very different rules. Um, but like Batman will not kill um, and the Punisher will kill pretty indiscriminately when it's criminals, but he won't kill cops is something that comes up very often, even if they're dirty. Hmm. Um, and he won't kill I was going to say, because cop and criminal are mutually exclusive in his right. world. Yeah. Oh, and they're not in Punisher comics. Yeah. Um, and he won't kill kids. Um, and sometimes it's civilians. It differs from comic to comic. But those are also both codes, like going back to what you said about, you know, the utopian being, or Sheldon, you know, which, God, his name is Sheldon. Yeah. <laughs> what a dunk on Sheldon. Um, but both of those codes arise out of moments of intense trauma, um, Mm. which I I think does, you know, reflect that idea of my world has shattered. I need some rules Mm -hmm. to make sense of it again. And I think especially for Batman, what has always struck me about his code is that it really is, he, in some ways, and I, don't mean this as an insult but it's gonna sound like it he really does have the morality of a traumatized eight-year-old um because he has very rigid rules about the things that an eight-year-old would understand 
Like, you can't kill, you can't steal. Those are bad things, and I'm going to stop them unless you're Catwoman, and then maybe you can steal because you're very pretty. Um, <laughs> whereas when you, get, when you get into more complex moral issues, like, is it okay to spy on your friends and come up with elaborate plans to kill them or take them out in case you have to and, you know, keep kryptonite in your pocket if you have... Like, that's not anything an eight-year-old would really ever encounter so it's sort of like the things that an eight-year-old would say no this is bad are forbidden and anything else is kind of fair game and that is an oversimplification and there are certainly Batman stories where he has a more um complex morality but I do think that that's something that comes out with him a lot whereas for characters like Superman who don't have that um formative trauma I think he has again, a more complex and mature and sort of robust set of ethics that are more malleable from situation to situation rather than rigid rules because they come from being raised by good people and not, here are my rules that I came up with, I wrote them down, and I'm going to follow them. I feel like keeping Kryptonite in your you know pocket is pretty reasonable if you live on a planet where Superman's like being controlled by Darkseid to try and conquer it, but... Uh, that's fair. Yeah, but I had a trauma it wasn't, when I was eight, so I don't know. Even then, it wasn't Batman who killed the person who was causing Superman's rampage. It was Wonder Woman. Yeah, mm. I mean, I I think Amanda Waller's a hero in the DC universe, so I'm definitely on the side of keep Kryptonite in your pocket. But <laughs> I I I totally understand what you mean there, and I think, I mean, to me, I think that kind of just underlines kind of what we're talking about there in terms of that 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 ability of the. The rigidness of a morality versus like the ability to be malleable and the ability to adapt to the circumstances. And um, it, it's interesting, Paul, that you brought up Dexter because I, I, I can't even, I, I'm kind of annoyed that I'd forgotten about it. But the, the literal words, the code oh, yeah. are such an important part of Dexter yeah. in which um, uh, spoilers for basically like the first five minutes of episode one of Dexter. <laughs> uh, but if you haven't seen it, it's a fantastic show. Very bloody, but, but the even for first some of the weak stomach. Three, like four, whatever seasons are a fantastic show. The last yeah. couple episodes are the worst thing that's ever been on television. Okay, proceed. A- also true. <laughs> um, Spoiler warning. But, you know, one of the ideas there is it, same kind of thing. Uh, here, a character has had a horrific trauma at age like three or aged as, as a toddler and now has... I'm not going to claim to know the kind of the psychiatric diagnosis, but basically to be basically compelled to kill. And um, for all kinds of like broken traumatic psychiatric reasons, not saying for a moment that that's like a normal response to trauma. It's obviously a very extreme specific situation, very unique, etc. But so what happens is when his father realizes this and realizes like he's going to be drawn to kill all of his life, he teaches him a code of like who he can and who he can't kill. It's very much about like you can only kill bad people and things like and that. Like and it, the process of going about like verifying, you know, that they've actually done the things that, you know, the, he thinks they've done and whatnot. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's exactly right. It's that idea that you have to verify what it is and that you have to you have to sort of be able to, 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 to show yourself that you're not just doing this out of anger or out of vengeance. You're doing it because you honestly believe killing this person will save more lives. Um, and that, that's kind of a, seg- a good segue to the, the, the thing that I think is most interesting. And, and you're right, Paul, when I said I don't like the way the show answers the questions, that, that was probably the wrong way to say it. What I, a better way to say it is I don't like the way the show frames the question. Oh, word. Because <laughs> it winds up 
you know, we have that first scene where Paragon in the middle of a battle, this guy is about to uh, kill all of our heroes and possibly half of Kansas. And, and we're like, we're not supposed to kill him. And then the next episode, some of these younger, you know, uh, superheroes who are very much like, yeah, we should be killing people. There's a moment where the villain they were fighting is captured, is on the ground, but they're wheeling out the body of one of their good friends, another hero who that villain killed. Or and, injured, I think, just severely injured. Uh, I, I thought it was dead, but yeah, either, it, severely injured might be either the way. But Yeah, I think that may be true. And there the hero is like, well, maybe the code's wrong and I should kill this person. To me, that there's such an interesting question here, but when you muddy the water between those two and equate those two, I feel like you really lose sight of what, what the question is. Because for me, at least, and I want to hear from both of you, those two situations of killing out of either vengeance or like a, I am deciding the world is better off without this person is so different than stopping an imminent threat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I think there's also a third point in between those two Mm -hmm. um, because there's killing in the heat of battle to save a life in the immediate sense. And there is sort of at the, which is let's say the most altruistic version. And then there's revenge killing like an eye for an eye or an entire life for an eye in this particular case. But in the (laughs) middle, there's the question of, but there's the death penalty, like right. uh, especially in cases where um, the the supervillain is perhaps not an imminent threat at this point. Like they're not firing their laser eyes at somebody right now, but they do still have laser eyes and they could get out again. So right. do you take them out to prevent that? Um, you know, because in superhero comics, we know any jail, any uh, mental institution, which is its own extremely problematic uh, separate issue, like they're revolving doors. So I think there's a difference between you killed somebody I love and so I'm killing you and I know you're going to kill more people and so I'm putting a stop to it. Right. It's interesting. I never actually thought about this until we started this conversation. But, you know, Netflix does their TV show about Daredevil where the whole idea is that he's wrestling with thinking that he has to kill Kingpin and in the end decides that he can stop himself from killing Kingpin and that that's okay. And then spoilers for season one of Jessica Jones, uh, the very end of it, skip ahead a little bit if you haven't, you've both seen Jessica. But then the next show they do season one of Jessica Jones ends with Jessica basically making the exact same uh, decision that you're talking about. Sorry, about Jessica about <laughs> Jessica Jones, um, where I'm sure no one's ever made that comparison to you before. It's where, always weird to me to talk about that show because I'm like Jessica, not the one that's me, right. but a different okay. one. <laughs> JJ, Jessica Jones, JJ, JJ decides that Purple Man, and I, I think rightly so, because of his power, where people just have to obey his voice, no matter anything else that there's no prison that will ever hold him and will ever stop him from doing these horrible things. And so she kills him. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know how intentional that was of Netflix Marvel, but I think it's really interesting because we're seeing those two opposite ends of this question. Yeah, I think it's it's also partially because, I mean, it, it also partially illuminates the difference between Matt and Jessica as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and <laughs> I think a little bit Matt sort of enjoys agonizing over decisions and just because <laughs> yeah. like I'm decided and I'm going to do it now. Um, a Catholic who enjoys agonizing over the guilt? I have no yeah, idea what you're talking I mean, about there. It's just it's his hobby. So what would he do <laughs> if he if he made a choice? Um, but yeah, I think it also is very much a case of like the kingpin. Yes, he has a lot of money. Yes, they do think that they've gotten him legally a couple of times and he slips through the cracks. But he is, at the end of the day, a regular non-augmented human who could be put in jail and yeah. stay there. Right. Yeah, it's. I mean, that brings up the difference between, like, you know, regular old humans and, you know, super people, right? And um, I think in... Jupiter's legacy, the sense I get is that early on, they're the only supers, and so they have this huge disproportionate amount of power, and anybody that they apprehend, like, they can can be dealt with in, in like, a prison or whatever, um, whereas in once there are a bunch of supers running around... It, it that is actually a legitimate change compared to like whatever's going on in the world now. Although technology changes and you know people have you know bigger guns, whatever stuff like that. But um, yeah, I I I think someone said something that was really interesting, and then I lost my train of thought. And um, yeah, never mind. Forty minutes in, I hope we've said something interesting. So we're like, no, uh, <laughs> it's not just you, Matthew. It's not just you. Well, this actually lets me bring up one more part of the the show that I think is worth talking about. And here it's, I think, a really interesting question they raise, but they don't go into it further, which frustrates me. Because I think this, Jessica, gets to what you were saying about that kind of middle ground space. Is at one point they're talking about the code, a couple of the heroes of that older generation, and they're talking about the code. And, and they're talking about it kind of in the terms, Paul, you said, where it's not just we don't kill, but also we don't govern. And, like, we don't interfere with the governments of the world. And and the person who's, like, you, you, the, is saying to the utopian, I don't think this code is right, says, you know, remember, we could have stopped World War II. We could have prevented a lot of those killings. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, to, to just add to that, like, they, they said, I wish we'd done more in World War II, basically. Yeah. Like, so they didn't get involved. Not that they would have prevented it, but that they could have kind of headed it off before be like, oh, Nazi Germany. Yeah, let's have that not be a thing. You know, let's right. let's stop this Holocaust as soon as we find out about it. But, oh, we can't interfere. Yeah. And, and for me, oddly enough, because I was talking to other people recently about robots, what that reminded me of is one of Isaac Asimov's th- the first law of robotics that he has is one that I kind of feel like. These heroes are completely forgetting the second part of, and I'm wondering what you all think of this as a framework in terms of when you can or can't kill. The law is a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Oh, right. Yeah. That, how does that work out <laughs> in that story? Right. Because, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the question is what, I mean, and this is, you know, essays and essays and essays have been written about, so what happens when the only way to prevent a human being from coming to harm is to harm another human being. But I, I kind of think that's the question they're asking about World War II is if we draw that line so extremely of we will never kill, does that mean we're basically allowing killings to happen because we're not killing killers? Well, aren't they killing killers? I mean, yeah, I, I see your point, but right. yeah, it's it's a huge question and it's not just, I mean, I think it's, 
it's easy to point to World War II and the Holocaust very specifically um, because obviously it, it, it happened on such a vast scale. But where, where does the line between, you know, um, like Paul said earlier, a good framework for a superhero might be we save lives, we keep people from killing other people. Right. If you try to do that without breaking the laws, what happens when it's the government killing people, mm, yeah. whether it is genocide or even just, you know, again, the death penalty, like, right. Yeah. State sanctioned murder. Yeah. Like the, well. the very first issue of the very first appearance of Superman has him breaking a bunch of stuff to stop a man from getting the electric chair because he's not, or a woman, sorry, because she's not guilty of the mm-hmm. crime in question but like what what if they are like do what about you know cop killings like there's so many or, or uh, cops killing people like there's so many iterations of governments killing people directly right. and yeah. indirectly <laughs> what yeah, about yeah. What about places like Flint, where you can't drink the water? Right. Yeah, or like governments denying health benefits that would keep someone alive. Like, you can take that, you know, in so many different directions. Right, and then if a superhero says, well, I don't interfere with the law, well, again, nothing you're doing is legal. But why is this where you draw that line? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say that the the kind of the the separation between like kill in battle compared to execute when someone has been subdued and is not presently a threat is I think like a really important distinction. Yeah. You know? Um and yeah, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I mean we can... No, there's... but I I, I I go ahead, Jessica. Oh sorry, just specifically on that there's um there's actually a, a Superman story from the late 80s where Superman executes criminals who are no longer a threat. Mm. Um, and this came up when Man of Steel came out and many, many people were very unhappy that it was a movie that ended with Superman killing somebody. Um, a lot of other people brought up this story, um, which basically the short version is... Um, Superman, this is uh, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, which depowered Superman to uh, a much less godlike level. Um, Mm -hmm. And he travels to an alternate universe where Kryptonians are still at that godlike level, so much more powerful than him. Um, And General Zod and his cronies show up, and they basically, they kill everybody on Earth. They literally just murder all every character you've ever thought of they kill them all um until at the end of the story they are depowered by gold kryptonite so at that point they're just regular people and superman is like they killed everybody i can't just walk away from this so he uses green kryptonite and he kills them and then he goes back to his universe and he's like well that was not a fun field trip um (laughs) whereas and it's not my favorite story. I don't love seeing Superman used that way in a, on a metatextual level. That story was, it existed to 
fill in a few continuity gaps that Christ's on infinite earths had caused. But I still like, I just feel like if you're working really hard to come up with a story where Superman has to make a decision about killing, maybe you should be working on a different superhero. Like that's not really the point of Superman, but it's, it's just interesting to me. Like normally I would say I, I feel much more comfortable with the idea of a superhero killing in the heat of battle to save lives because he doesn't see another way than executing in cold blood but i i can basically vibe with this executing zod story from mm-hmm. 1988 or whatever and i really cannot vibe with the end of man of steel um and i think that has a lot to do with selling the circumstances that yeah. the killing doing a good job of selling the circumstances under which the killing happens because I mean, like you were saying, Paul, about just laser off his arm. Like, just put your hand over Zod's eyes. It's invulnerable, Clark. It's not that hard. Like, right. there are 10 <laughs> billion ways to stop him. Like, it's just not yeah. Yeah. a Fly. good Take setup. Take him up to space. Like. <laughs> right? And also, like, if you really care so much about stopping him from killing this family, maybe you should have, you know, moved the fight out of Metropolis before thousands of people were crushed by falling buildings. Seriously. I don't know. It's just a thought. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I was so frustrated by that scene in Jupiter's Legacy is because I think if you set it up in a way where it is possible that they can defeat this villain without killing him, but Paragon doesn't think so, and so Paragon thinks they have to kill him, now we get a very interesting question. But in the episode, they make it so overwhelmingly clear that nothing else is working and that everyone's going to die if they don't do this. That, frankly, and Paul, I don't know if you, I, I was kind of amazed because I thought the whole point was supposed to be that now we have this one situation that is so clear where killing was necessary that the utopian has to, like, figure out what that means for him. Right. Yeah, it, it was such an over-the-top thing. I hated that whole scene. Um, it I almost didn't watch the rest of the show. I was like, all right, I'll watch the next episode. And then there were, like, parts I liked. And as it went on, there were actually more parts I liked, but still parts that I really hated. Um, mm-hmm. but there that, like, it doesn't even make sense. So it's like, why didn't he just laser off something to begin with? Like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's very <laughs> yeah. frustrating. It was a very frustrating experience. Um, but yeah, it, it did seem to me like, can't, like, if they're about to go nuclear, can't you grab them? Like, wouldn't you want to fly them up out of the atmosphere or something? Like, punch them in the face or like punch their face literally in like about six inches. Like, is that, that's going to stop them from going nuclear? Do you know that? How do you know that? I guess they've done research. They've put this person in jail before. Like, I don't know. It just, it did, it, it, it felt like it didn't work. And it did feel like that was such an over the top circumstance where they'd already let a bunch of people die. And then maybe a whole bunch more people were going to die that. Yeah. For that to then be compared to, like, someone's literally just, like, plastered against the windshield of a car or something or against uh, against a brick wall. And they're like, oh, we should just kill him now. It's the same thing. It's like, it's not the same thing. It's, yeah. it's just not the same thing, you know. But then, of course, that character, uh, like, did go on to kill someone in a really stupid way also. That, like, mm-hmm. just to, like, further be like, oh, but see, like, they were still a threat. And it just, um, it doesn't feel good. Particularly, yeah. oh, there was a line at the beginning of the second episode, I think, where a, a cop 
or it was the first or second episode, the this cop is like, um, you know, like, oh, you know, we should just kill them all, right? Like, I think what you did is good. And I was like, oh, no, that that sounds definitely worse coming out of a cop's mouth. <laughs> like, yeah, and that, that was very, that, that didn't feel good. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I was talking about how this show, I felt like the way that they frame this question, especially bringing in cops and especially having, and I don't want to get too far into the, mm-hmm. just this, this, this show, but, but just, this is the point I was kind of making before about law enforcement. There's that moment. But also there's a moment later where the younger heroes are saying, uh, one of them kind of specifically says, like, and all the rest of them are agreeing, they don't know how dangerous it is out here for us. We're putting our lives on the line to keep people safe. And now they're questioning, like, the, that we're killing people too much to do that. Right. And I was just like, that sounds like every police union statement mm. I've ever heard after mm-hmm. a cop kills someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my sense is that that was written, like, pre, you know, Black Lives, like I think this was written early in uh, like around 2013, 2014, which was, as Jessica, you said, you're right. I mean, cops have been killing people of color, all people, but especially people of color without good cause for centuries. But it's been the last five or six years that it's been really in the public attention. And I think this was written before that. But even then, if, if that was the line, that would feel a little weird. But especially to put that line in a TV show today, it just felt so tone deaf and problematic. Absolutely. That's all I got, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's possible that the comic was written before Ferguson, but the it, show wasn't. Yeah, the yeah. comic is 2013, right? Ferguson was 14, I think. Yeah. I believe that's correct. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it the comic was written a little before, I guess you'd say, all this rose to broad public consciousness. Right. And But then the show wasn't, right? The show, I don't know how long it's been in production, but I imagine the the thing had to be out for a while, like the comic. People had to, yeah, uh, 2018, it was announced that they'd do, you know, um, mm-hmm. this series. And so, you know, having been written in the last few years and produced over that period of time, it feels like you really, you know, like... You should understand when there's going to be certain parallels like that, and you shouldn't make them if that's not what you're deliberately trying to do. And if they are deliberately right. trying to do that, that's horrible. And if they're not, mm-hmm. then they're just tone deaf in a really unfortunate way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so let me actually pull it back a little bit to uh, the, the larger question here, and, and we'll move off the code in a second, but I just want to ask one more question about it. and. I think here in this, I'm I'm we're still not okay with with the way they frame the code, but I'm wondering if if what I'm about to say it can be a defense of having some kind of a code. And let me start again with that Asimov law of robotics, that idea that you can't injure a human being, but also you can't you can't not take an action that would stop you. Let me just read it, you know, or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. There's a great little short story. I think it was like just a paragraph, but it basically talked about how like. One interpretation of that could be robots take over the world because robots realize that every single thing a human is doing is causing harm to other humans. And so that the only way to prevent humans from being harmed is to completely take over. Um, And pulling it back to the code thing, I do think that once heroes start thinking like, I have to not only like stop this person who's in the moment holding a gun but I have to kind of be more proactive to stop the people who will hold a gun tomorrow or who are planning to hold a gun. 
that that can get out of control and that um jessica you brought kingdom come earlier one of the reasons i love that story so much is because i think it is a story about exactly that of what happens when because like you know superheroes are getting way out of control superman starts to take more and more power thinking that he has to in order to stop people from hurting others to the point where he basically just has total control um is there any argument to be made that a code maybe a more malleable one but that having some kind of a code is a bulwark against that kind of a slippery slope of a you know that once you start telling yourself that i can fix things that you know now you're a hammer and everything becomes a nail I mean, I think it kind of goes back to to the point I made before about like, I don't think that there is any viable code or framework or anything for a superhero or any kind of vigilante, like from, you know, street level on up, but especially somebody with powers like Superman, I don't think there is any viable framework that does not take into account the voices and opinions of the people who are being protected. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why, you know, again, like who, who watches the watchman to coin a phrase, like who oversees the justice league or the Avengers who says, Hey, Superman, that was too far. And that wasn't okay. And obviously with some of these characters, either they don't care about the law or they are so powerful that they can't really be affected by it. But I think ethically, like you, there is no set of rules you can make on your own individually and say, this is how I'm going to apply my power to the people around me and they're going to just live with it. You have to have the consent of the people you're protecting. I only sort of agree. I, I guess I disagree. I don't know. Um, I think, like... <sighs> so, I think it's always important to listen to people and hear what they have to say and what they want. Um, I think setting constraints for oneself, I think, definitely can be healthy, particularly if you have a lot of power. One of those constraints is maybe, you know, I'm not going to do something people don't want me to do. But, like, that... There's... There's, like, there's never, like, a consensus, though, is the thing. Like, the idea of being accountable to a community or people at large, like, like personally, I don't care about the law. Like, I, I don't see the law as some kind of, like, morality or, um, like, I, I don't even really believe in morals or ethics but which is funny that i'm on this podcast so much but like (laughs) i believe in basically deciding what you think you should do and then you do it and i think listening to other people that's actually a theme in jupiter's legacy is that this you know the the utopian like never listens to anybody basically and you can't help people if you're not listening to them if you're not listening to what they want but if what the people want is the senseless slaughter of the gutter slime that litters this nation for cash and prizes. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, um, that's a Guar reference. Um, <laughs> it's a show, a song called Slaughterama. But, like, if what the people want is for you to kill certain people, like, I think it's totally reasonable to not do that. To be like, no, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, if people are like, you know, um, 
we don't want you to step in and, and stop bank robberies or whatever, then I think that's more something that like you should listen to people. Um, and personally, like I could give a fuck about bank robberies. I'm, I'm kind of sick of seeing like superheroes, like intervening in bank robberies where it's like, who cares? Like, <laughs> you know, like save lives. And like, if you save lives and then someone's like, ah, oh, I didn't want you to save me. It's like, all right, you can just, you know, take care of that on your own. I won't save you again. Like, but, you know, I think just, like, trying to, deciding for oneself, like, you know, I am going to try to reduce the amount of harm that people do to one another, or I am going to try to make people, you know, not kill each other so much, like, to just, to stop killings. Like, I don't, honestly, I don't care if you're like, no... Um, you know, we, we don't want you to stop, you know, these, these murders, like whatever, like I'm, if, if I have superpowers and I can go around and stop police from killing people, like maybe I'll just do that. And like, I don't really care if there's a bunch of people, if like 55% of the people are like, oh no, yeah, you know, we, well, we can't interfere with the police, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. And ultimately I think people are always only ever truly accountable to their own conscience. And people decide, oh, I'm going to have a code and I'm going to, my conscience is going to tell me, like, I'm going to tell myself ahead of time, this is what I'm going to do. Or like, I'm going to follow the law because the law is going to tell me ahead of time. Or I'm going to follow, you know, um, some ethics I got from, you know, religion or my parents or wherever. It's like, ultimately, that's what your conscience told you to do, to follow some particular code if you're following a code. So at the end of the day, everybody's doing the same thing and basically just deciding, they're going to do what they think they should do. It's just how much listening to other people and which other people. I mean, I think that's the complicated thing. I think, I think it's a really good point. And, you know, the idea of listening to people and wanting to know what they want. But there's so many people to listen to. Ultimately, an individual has to make the call what they're going to do. And then it's up to other people to decide if they don't like that, what they're going to do about it. Well, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think we're as far apart as on this, uh, necessarily. Like, I, I'm definitely don't think like, well, I'm thinking about stopping this bank robbery. Right. Let me no. check with yeah, yeah. everyone on the planet yeah. first. I mean, I did and lead I with I sort of agree. So I, I, I yeah. I'm sure you're right that we're closer together Look, than I. I think there's yeah, I think there's a. Obviously, expediency is is a question in a lot of this. Like, you don't have time to take a poll. Right. Like, um, should I stop that comet or not? Uh, you know, <laughs> hit the right. heart and if I you also, want me to and the sad face if you don't. Yeah. And, like, I also don't I, – I agree with you that, like, I'm not necessarily going to say, like, well, it, check the law. What does the law say? Because there's a lot of bad laws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the – having engagement with a community and participation in it is part of it. Like it's not just descending from on high with a rigid preset. Okay. If situation a happens, right. I will do action B. Um, but having that, like being part of the world, I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. First of all, I just want to get popcorn as you two are going back and forth on this. <laughs> jump in here. To, to jump in here a bit, I also think that 
Paul, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, Jessica. I think you kind of lose the areas where I, I would also agree. But the area I would push back on a bit is that I think if there is a very specifically, clearly defined objective good that we can just say, okay, if I'm going to just do what I think is the good thing, whether people want me to or not, I could buy that. The problem is that I feel like so much of the harm that's done in this world is the people who think, you know what, I am going to do what's objectively good because it's what these people need, even if they don't think they want it. Because actually, like, maybe it's not the objective good thing, you know, like Kingpin is convinced he's doing what is good for the people of New York City. Now, in his case, it's because he's very like his own pro gentrification lens and and white white supremacy and 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 capitalism and all that is is skewing his views. But even put us, putting aside like something that obvious, I do feel like, and I think that's like Kingdom Come is a great illustration of that, as well as a number of other stories, as well as a number of other instances from our own world. You know, like people, uh, there just seems like it, once you start down that road of if. My conscience tells me this is the right thing to do and this is the, you know, that, that this is doing good and I'm going to do it. To me, it, it just feels, I, I just don't trust people enough that way. And I, I know, Paul, this is where you and I always disagree because you're much more a fan of the individual conscience. I just don't trust individuals that way because I think that it's just so easy for a person to to start seeing their vision of the good being so important that they're doing things that are pretty terrible to people. Yeah, I guess what I would say is that I don't like trust other people that much and like (laughs) but like there's only like the world is made up of individuals and like i sure as hell don't trust like society that more Mm. like i mean just like look at the world's history look at the world now like like i 100 percent share your concern about like what various individuals are going to do following their own conscience and i Yes, there is damage caused by people thinking, you know, they're doing the right thing. I think most people think they're doing the right thing. I think doing, I think the right thing is subjective. It's how do you want the world to be? And how can you act in a manner that will make the world more that way? And not everybody wants the world to be the same way. And ultimately, like, I don't think society, I don't think society has a better answer. I don't think collectively humans do a better job of like taking care of one another really and and not oppressing one another you know i mean oppression is basically all human on human violence and i think absolutely when you're you know you want to engage with the community if you want to try and make a difference in that community um whereas you know i mean there's there's different things right there's like are you trying to deal with a situation that's like an acute thing that's like this just happened and I'm going to deal with it right now or are you like I'm going out on patrol and you know I'm going to try and make the world more this way or that way but like who you know where do you get like hmm, like do you try to stop the holocaust like in world war 2 like are you like oh well america doesn't want to get involved yet so i won't get involved yet oh now america does want to get involved i'll get involved like that was like the german government was doing things and i, I honestly i don't know enough about you know the the laws of the third reich to know whether there was anything that was technically illegal but like my understanding is mostly like that was a process of law 
which is insane. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. it just shows how much like, yeah, which community, you know, it's like there's communities at odds with other communities and there's people in one community oppressing people in that same community. And so I just, I don't lack uh, concern about individual conscious conscience, but like I have a similar, if not larger concern about what people can do in groups that is also horrible. And rant. Congratulations, Jessica. You've wandered into an argument that's been going on for 25 years. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I have the exact pithy comment that will resolve all of this. No, oh, I yay! <laughs> I've got it. I've got now? the answer. No, I don't have no. the answer. Oh, <laughs> I'm so disappointed. You got me so excited. I, 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 stop talking. I was if I had the answer, you wouldn't have a goal. podcast anymore. <laughs> I, I think that... I don't have the answer either. Because I think, Paul, you're right. I mean, all those things are also true. For me, I think, it, and Jessica, you were saying this, so much of it goes back to, like, our, it's not society. It's the particular community in which you're acting. You know, like, for me, you know, to go to the Civil War example, Wanda makes a split-second decision in the moment where she's trying to prevent a huge number of people being killed, and as a result, a smaller number of people be, are killed. And, and like, you can go into all the physics of it, and mm-hmm. could she have done something sure. different? Yeah. And, I, like, I think probably that's the kind of decision that had to be made. But I also think, like, who who was Nigerian or Wakandan who was at the table where those decisions were being talked about, you know, before they went into the capital of Nigeria? And, and to me, the kind of example, actually, uh, pulling it back to something we all love, that I think of as a great example of what it does mean when a hero is clearly listening to the voices of his community. When a hero is clearly listening to the voices of their community and paying attention, is Daredevil, especially in season yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. so much of what we see is he starts out, Matt Murdock starts out with his idea of what's necessary to make things better. But then in the course of the show, through his interactions with the different clients they take on from the neighborhood, uh, Mrs. Cardenas being the, the kind of key example, but a number of others, his idea of what has to be done changes. And... He really feels like to me that he feels like a great example of someone who is trying to protect a community, but paying very close attention to what the community is telling him they need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also helps that he's protecting like one square mile. Right. A neighborhood, not like a planet (laughs) or a country or whatever, for sure. But it, it really, yeah, it really does simplify the question when he can talk to the people who are being, you know, ousted by Fisk's gentrification and when he can have these conversations with Claire and Karen and Foggy who all live there but have different opinions on the best way to handle the situation that they're going through like that's a lot easier than something like the Sokovia Accords Um, but I mean that's sort of the problem with with genre that I brought up at the beginning that what may what may work as an ethical framework for a story about Daredevil guarding his 10 blocks of Manhattan does not work as a story about Captain America, the shining beacon of humanity, uh, globe trotting right. and throwing his shield at everything he sees. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point, and that both of you made about you know Daredevil being a neighborhood hero who actually can deal, you know, interact with the individuals in the area, and you know, it's not like he's taking a poll or like getting, um, uh, you know, vote taken, and and you know. There's a fair number of people in Hell's Kitchen, um, ha- having grown up in Hell's Kitchen back when it actually looked like it looked in the in the Daredevil show. <laughs> um, I can speak to that a little bit, but uh, it you know, yeah. If if the Avengers are are going to Lagos, like who do they talk to? You know, like do they talk to the government? Is the government if it's the government necessarily who they should talk to? Like should they talk to uh, like? Are there, I don't know. I, I, th- I think it's definitely more difficult though, right? When, when it's, they're going to a city in a country that's on a different continent than they are from. Um, you know, it would be nice to have superhero teams that were a little bit more inclusive on a, on a global level, you know, not just in terms mm-hmm. of representation of, of, you know, people of different identities in the United States, but like globally. Um, and it, I don't know. You know, the fact that they're not representing America directly, but like, you know, he's literally Captain America, um mm-hmm. is th- there's there's a whole another level of of uh, you know, prob- potential problems and, you know, how what kind of accountability is there? Like is the accountability from the Nigerian government? Is it from the local government? Like are they going to have to extradite uh, you know, like it's and and it, it is harder to have like when you're dealing with these kind of like potentially global threats also it's like you know it, it's it's just such a different thing and and that's to get back to the point that you made that i really loved um not that the other ones i didn't love them but um <laughs> but about like for a different hero for a different story that you know the context of the story really does have a big effect on what kinds of stories are going to um, what kind of themes you can deal with and like whether, whether it's the appropriate place for them. And um, it really does work in a daredevil series. Um, and it, it's a little more awkward when you're dealing with more global kinds of uh, stories, I guess. Yeah, there are also, I think there, there are sort of limitations or maybe that's not the right word, but there when it comes to international stories, stories about international politics or other places in the world, but also here in America, Mm -hmm. there are certain, there are topics that I don't necessarily want a superhero story about because it feels disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like, I don't like, I read a couple of stories where superheroes end up in South Africa in the eighties and I don't want to read anymore right. because it feels like not the place for a superhero. And it's also, I mean, the reason that for example, like Superman did not fight in world war two during world war two, because the, because the national comics was like, Oh, well, what are we going to do? Write a comic where he ends the war and then, Right. We still have a war. Right. Um, so sometimes you do have to sort of elide those very serious real world issues because it's just not appropriate to have yeah. 
it almost feels like making light of it to have a superhero come in and oversimplify it, which is also a problem with, you know, when you're, you've got almost certainly American, almost certainly white writers sending their mostly white American superheroes around the globe and saying, okay, now fix the problems those people have. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's very well put. And um, we're recording, it'll come out probably next week, but recording this, just a few days after the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race riot and and massacre mm-hmm. of black of uh, black people and, and the destruction of Black Wall Street, and the, it's a very I mean obviously it's an incredibly important topic for all of us, but especially for people uh, who are fans of kind of genre media that's telling interesting stories. Around that event, there was an awful lot of articles written by uh, great commentators talking about how how interesting it was that for a lot of people they knew about that now because of the TV show The Watchmen, and. I was thinking about what you were just saying, Jessica, because what a number of those uh, authors were talking about was that when they first realized the show was going to talk about this incredibly important and almost very unknown moment in American history, they got very nervous because they were very worried that they wouldn't do it right. And that, not this is universal, but that, you know, most of the commentators have seen, especially black commentators, have, have been very uh, effusive about how well the show addressed that, but also talking about how unique that is, that because that's so often when you try to use a story about superheroes to talk about a very real world situation where very real tragedies happen, it can go incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think any kind of historical fiction always, there's a level of care that needs to be taken to be like, am I, you know, stepping on the stories of real people here? You know, am I using some tragedy in a way that is, is like disrespectful to the real people involved. And then when you add a science fiction layer, when you add superheroes, I think it it can get very dicey. Um, Mm. And I I mean, I think the, the answer is, I mean, in terms of like having more global representation in comics is to have more global representation in, in comic writers, right. And have more global representation in, um, you know, screenwriters. And I think we're seeing movement in that direction, right? It's, it's, you know, quite a bit late and it's, it's slower than, than it could be. But um, I, I think more of that is going to be better and you're going to be able to tell a, a broader range of stories. And I think, I think TV shows often handle things like this better than some other media, I believe, mm-hmm. because of the writer's room. Because right. I think if you get a room full of people who can have different views on something, um, like it's it's easier to have more representation in a group of five people than in one person or two people, you know? And so I think often that's a, um, you know, a way towards being able to tell uh, a more diverse group of stories. And, but, you know, I do think there's a reason that like, you know, we have Wakanda and Sokovia and uh, Kaznia in DC, like where you're, you know, oh, is there going to be interference in this nation that's not America's politics? Or is there going to be a superhero from there? Like, I think there is a sense of like, let's make up a place and have it not be a real world place. So we're not commenting on the politics of that actual place you know we're gonna have it be an african nation somewhere in africa or we're gonna have it be like maybe an eastern european nation somewhere in i don't know like where's sokovia but um i i think 
that makes sense in terms of trying to be careful not to um, kind of like overstep. But at the same time, there's so many issues that you kind of you kind of hamstring yourself where you can't deal with certain global issues because you're not willing to write really in a in a global way, I think. Right. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like a, a lot of what makes these stories so powerful is that they're they're metaphors for for the, you can clearly tell what they're metaphors of, right. but that they're metaphors told in this kind of you know somewhat fictional world. Yeah. Um. So. It is not surprising, since of all my guests, you two are the king and queen of uh, tangents, that yeah, we have like, wandered very far from the topic, but are still in a very interesting conversation that's, I think, very tangential and connected to the topic, for sure. Um, Jessica, we'd had a whole conversation about Flash comics that we were going to bring into this. I think we've gone long enough and we have some hard outs that, that we're in jeopardy of passing our time limit that we have to stop. <laughs> I <laughs> well, see what you did well there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so if you don't mind, I think we're going to hold off on those. Um, but definitely I want to bring that back when, when you and I talk more about comics history coming up. But let me kind of give each of you a chance to kind of have a, is there one last point or one last question you want to bring up that kind of pulling us back to this idea of when heroes do or don't use lethal force? I, I have one more fairly straightforward point. Uh, that's, you know, there were a few things I think that we were going to cover and we mostly covered them, but the idea of, uh, a person being able to choose to keep their violence non-lethal and, you know, that obviously plays into real life, um, scenarios, but there's, there's not in comic books, there's non-lethal violence. And by and large, if somebody kill someone it's because they decided to kill the person and mm-hmm. i kind of respect that paradigm as its own thing but i think it's very important to name that that is not the real world there is no non-lethal violence mm. there is less lethal violence there are right. less lethal ways of attempting to apprehend people or to stop violence but um when i was growing up this kid punched a security guard in the chest and the security guard died like a punch to the chest isn't considered lethal violence in general right the intent isn't lethal but that doesn't mean it it can't result in death and thus be lethal so i i do think that there's something problematic in comic book violence that like i think we need to be very aware that that's a comic book thing and um unfortunately i imagine like kids growing up watching comic book violence aren't necessarily going to get that sense and um but to the the point that jessica alluded to earlier but we didn't cycle back to um you know the idea that like killing and whether you should kill or like that you are killing like is this somehow more mature kind of content i i don't think it is i like, I don't know, Jessica, do you want to make that point? Because I feel like you were going to, but you were saving it for later. <laughs> but like, I kind of want to like pre-cosign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll use that as a jumping off point. Although I, I definitely agree with you on that. Like, actually, it turns out that hitting somebody over the head is not just like hitting snooze on your alarm clock. It causes right. brain damage. And that's why they become unconscious. Right. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I my my final point was actually going to be um, very connected to that, so thank you for the segue. Um, but I think my when I have an issue with a superhero story 
a, in which a superhero kills. It is either because it's just not considered in any way, shape, or form. It's just thrown out there and it's just done to look cool and nobody cares. I'm looking at you, Arrow. <laughs> um, or because it is contrived in such a way to force the reader or the viewer into going, well, I guess that's how that had to be, which it sounds like that's part of the problem with Jupiter's legacy. Um, it definitely, for me, uh, it was a huge problem with uh, Man of Steel, as I implied. Um, but yeah, when when the story is more interested in constructing a framework to obsess about killing than talking about preserving and saving lives that's when I kind of tap out and I'm like I can't I can't go down this nihilistic road with you hmm. like that's that's where I feel like I'm being pushed into something that's not why I go to superheroes like right. not why I'm interested in these stories that are about being more than we are. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, when you said that thing about the maturity, that there's a part of me that I wanted to push back a bit. But I think the way you said that actually kind of allows me to better kind of frame where I come from, which is that I feel like, to me, consequences are mature. Like, and so when you're, when you are talking about like something that, you know, Captain America throwing his shield willy-nilly, and we never actually deal with the consequences of that. To me, that's kind of a, there's somewhat of a childlike understanding of violence there. And I think there is something mature in being willing to sort of acknowledge the consequences thereof. But you're right that when it just becomes grim, dark, and oh, look, our heroes have to kill because we want to show how cool blood spatter looks on their awesome uniforms, you know, that... That, there's nothing mature to me about that. To me, that's just like, ha ha ha, we could actually kill people. Like, it's kind of like a 13-year-old boy, you know, ideas of it. So I, in that regard, yeah. I, think, I think we're very much in agreement. No, and I think I think that your way of phrasing it, uh, consequences are mature, is perfect. Like, the bopping the bad guys over the head and they go to sleep and everything's fine is the six-year-old version of immature and killing everybody but you never feel bad about it and you never get in trouble it just looks really cool is the 13 year old yes. like i i so technically more mature just going by the math it is a bit <laughs> but... more mature but like i i make a lot of jokes about like dc and marvel have a consultant who's just a 13 year old boy with an unlimited supply of mountain dew who's just playing call of duty all the time and they'll be like hey Hey, Timmy, what would be rad? And he's like, he should eviscerate him with his claws. And they're like, great job, Timmy. Head cannon Timmy, accepted. He should strangle him with his own entrails him. after he eviscerates Exactly. Him. See, I, I, Timmy loves that. But for me, you know, I, I just don't like the Timmy consultant stories. I, I will say that recently they gave Timmy a lot more power and allowed him to have complete art consultation over a show. And that's where Invincible came from. Oh, no. Because... Um, <laughs> I love Invincible on so many levels, but the, the gore level is just pure 13-year-old boy wish fulfillment. It's so awful. And I just lost a thousand fans because most people disagree with me there. But anyway. <laughs> like we have a thousand fans. No. <laughs> There's a lot of people listening to this podcast. I'd like to have a thousand I mean, fans to lose. 
Hey, listen, listen, Jessica, when, when Paul was giving his big, like, I hate law, I hate banks, I hate government <laughs> rant, you came very close to getting on a government watch list. So, like, I mean, the NSA definitely <laughs> listens to this. We've, we've proven that. And here we are back again with the government watch list jokes. <laughs> I I did think that when you were talking about um, Superman killing people, you were going to reference when he killed a certain mm. uh capitalistic supervillain who became a president yeah that's what um, i thought of as soon as you mentioned superman i'm like oh yeah superman justice league the justice lords <laughs> like oh right i forgot about that one but like why yeah. couldn't he laser off his arm <laughs> i don't go. i don't get it <laughs> contrived it would it would cauterize right away it wouldn't even he wouldn't even bleed right out. exactly heat vision as the person here who was actually missing a limb and was perhaps not quite as sensitive as, as other amputees would have been to the whole conversation about Bucky having his arm taken off mm. by the Dora Milaje, I should probably speak up about this whole idea of taking lasering off Fair. the arms. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I get our point entirely. I appreciate <laughs> so, that. I'm more mocking myself in that regard, but also thanking the folks who have written in with those kind of comments. I, I think this is kind of a good place to wrap up. And I, I just want to leave with one last thing, which is that. For me, I am definitely someone who loves Grimdark a lot, but I, I'm really glad we're having this conversation, and Jessica, especially what you're talking about, because I want to give a quick plug for something that I hope we're going to cover soon, because it is so far at the other end of Grimdark, even though it is basically a story of, it's more like sci-fi robots, but of like heroes doing amazing things with no killing, no death, no blood, no gore, um, and that's the Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh, I gotta check and that out. <laughs> if you have not seen it, it is the... I cannot remember being happier at the end of a movie mm-hmm. than I was for many years. It is just such a wonderful caption of joy and representation and, and filmmaking and, and hilarious social commentary and, and just a great, great hero movie without grim dark anywhere near it. I'm writing that down. I'm making a note to myself <laughs> to watch it as soon as I'm not on a podcast or a Twitch stream or another podcast or watching The Bad Best should be on another podcast. Cool. So 2023. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, as Paul just said, he does a whole bunch of content making under the name Zed Madman. Uh, he's doing poker streams a lot these days. Some of them uh, on on his Twitch stream under Zed Madman. Uh, I'm also doing Twitch streams under uh, The Ethical Panda and... Paul's basically being my mentor, teaching me poker, or teaching me this, to get better at a particular kind of poker game. Definitely check out both of our Twitch streams and check out all the stuff Paul does under Zen Madman. Jessica, for those who want to find out you, I know you're doing a lot of writing, other kind of content creation. Where can folks find your stuff? Uh, not on Twitch. I don't know how it works. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, I'd be great to play poker against because I don't know how to play and you'd win. Um, Ethics. Uh, can... Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> I do a lot of writing about comics at bookriot.com. Um, and I also have a short story coming out in an anthology um, on July 13th. Uh, awesome. It's called Sword Stone Table. It's coming out from Vintage. And it is all uh, retellings of Arthurian legends from a whole array of amazing, diverse contributors. It's uh, an amazing collection if I do say so myself and uh highly recommend everybody's stories and maybe give mine a read too why not sure um can, and i'm on twitter at jess plumber can we pre-order that book 
you can pre-order that book. It is available for pre-order at all your major retailers. Awesome. We will include a link to that uh, in the show notes. So thank Jessica, you. Paul, thank you guys so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I definitely want to get both of you on together because I think there's a, a great dynamic here and I'm really excited to go deeper with that in other conversations. And to all our listeners, as I said, what do you think about this episode? If you have thoughts on this one, on other episodes, let us know. You can give us all our feedback at theethicalpanda at gmail.com or going to theethicalpanda.com or finding us on Twitter or Facebook. And of course, remember that this podcast is a proud member of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. There you'll find great podcasts about Marvel, Star Wars, which I run, Star Trek, um, stuff uh, under Bingers Assemble. We're doing all sorts of, like, anytime a a third or fourth or ninth movie is coming out in a a series, we're often going to do kind of go over all the back ones. We're going to do Fast and Furious. They just did a couple on the the Conjuring. Uh, Recently, we did ones on the uh, Godzilla vs. Kong movies. Lots of great stuff at the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. So please check that out. Please check out my other podcasts and everything else that Paul and Jessica are doing. And most importantly, have a great day. 